Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the Bibliotheque, the podcast that gallops through the gallery of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm examining every brushstroke along the way. So join us on our live quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Yes, welcome back to this mini-season of live shows recorded at the British Museum. Yeah, it's been so lovely having these conversations and being able to now share them on our podcast feed uh, with all our lovely listeners. And I think it's lovely to look at the films that we're talking about in these in these live episodes and almost view them as two sides of a coin. We've got uh, Takahata and Miyazaki, mm-hmm. uh, four films, two each. And I think those first two that we've already spoken about, My Neighbor Totoro, Pompoko, in a way, can be very illustrative of that first uh or the, the early stages of Ghibli for them mm-hmm. and now we're looking at the back half their last films or Miyazaki's supposed last film until well, exactly. next if there's any concern listeners that we covered these films relatively recently they were both in the previous miniseries we did don't worry because what's great about these panels that the British Museum put together for us to host is that they had such a wide range of experts to come and chat with us and this one we have not two but three guests and the value they bring and insight they bring is something we can't match at all. Yeah, whilst I think I have some grasp on the work of like traditional Japanese pottery. Exactly. I mean, sometimes it's good to get an expert on that subject. Yeah, well, so let's go through the panellists for this discussion. We have Hosono Hitomi, who is a ceramics artist uh, living in London. She actually has a few pieces in the British Museum. She had a piece in the manga exhibition uh, where she creates these intricate ceramic pieces where they look like fish and chips but they actually have manga stories on them painted onto them really something and the the link i suppose to this film is that princess kaguya is one of those ghibli films where the artistry is so upfront the, yeah, the you can, thousands of man hours that go into animating this film the physicality of the process of animation is mm-hmm. so evident in this work we also have Uchida Hiromi, who was one of the curators of the manga exhibition, who gives another great insight. We had Nicole Roumanier on a previous episode, but um, Hiromi gives great insight into the, the, the Japanese curatorial side of this and the role Ghibli plays within Japanese art internationally. And finally, a name that, I, that was uh, 
familiar to me beforehand, Raina Dennison, who is an academic based at the University of East Anglia who specialises in Japanese film, animation and Ghibli. She edited a collection of essays on Princess Mononoke. She contributes to anime, a critical introduction of Bloomsbury book. And what's amazing is that her current research, you'll hear her describe this on the in the conversation, but her current research is into the production history of Ghibli that we don't hear about over here internationally. And that's what we talk about every episode. Mm-hmm. So I think that Raina's insight is completely in our wheelhouse. <laughs> and... I'm just absolutely in heaven talking to her about this stuff. Yeah. Um, Well, I think with all these episodes, we should waste no more time and cut straight to it. But let's start, as we probably should always start with, with Studio Ghibli. Yeah. um, So it'd be great to ask all three of you, actually, what your entry point into Studio Ghibli's films were, and then we can kind of look at the links between that and the exhibition that we've all seen too. Um, Raina, do you want to start? My story is probably the least interesting. I got shown My Neighbor Totoro as part of a language class when I was at university um, a thousand years ago. (laughs) Um, But when I saw this movie, I just... I was blown away by it, and I was, remember going to Japan on my year abroad, and somebody said, you, you liked that movie with the big bear owl thing. Do you want to watch this one? It's by the same studio. And I sat down and watched Grave of the Fireflies for the first time. Oh. Cried for about a week. It was amazing. <laughs> um, I grew up in Japan. Uh, every summer there is uh, this Ghibli film release, and of course, I watched it, and the first uh, my memory about Ghibli is Naushika. Yeah. And there's so many times, really like more than 30 times I watched with my sister and brother. And the, uh, I just like that how they draw the natures and quite a big influence to my work mm. when I was in Japan, actually. Oh, yeah, it'd be embarrassing if someone hadn't seen it yet. He hasn't seen it yet. Don't spoil anything for him. We'll get to that. That's, we had to save one of the best ones for last, didn't we? So he'll see it eventually. Uh, Hiromi, what's yes, your um, I was also brought up in Japan, but I have to confess, I was more like a manga uh, uh-huh. girl. And then I wasn't... Uh, when I was small, I was watching um, animations, of course, on television, like uh, Heidi or like Mumi. Mm. But um, I, I have to confess, I my, my encounter with Ghibli was quite when I was quite older, maybe like uh, 20s or something. Huh? And then that was um, Nausicaa, but it wasn't on in the cinema. Mm-hmm. I saw it on DVD. And then next I remember is um, uh, the um, Spirited Away, which I saw in the theatre, which was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I was really, really taken um, off. And then that was that was my kind of starting point. But I, I, I haven't seen all of the Ghibli film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Spirited Away is many people's starting points here, really. Yeah. But we should talk about Kaguya. Really, yeah, that's why we're well, here tonight. Definitely, and I mean, I think all of us along this row, our first one was a Miyazaki film. Is oh, that interesting? Yeah. Okay. And um, it's really nice to have the opportunity to talk about Takahata, who yes. has been, well, for our, the podcast uh, and my journey on that has been the great discovery for me because mm. a filmmaker who I knew nothing about, and uh, this is, for me, is like one of his absolute very best works. Yeah. And it's such a pleasure to be able to watch it on a big screen like exactly. this. Exactly. Uh, just quickly, who saw Kaguya for the first time this evening? 
Oh, wow. wow. We're so glad we were able wow. to share this with you. Maybe, maybe we should hear uh, all of everybody's <laughs> comments rather than Exactly. Us. So in, in a few yeah. minutes, we're going to have a microphone running around up and down the stairs. So we'll get some comments and questions from you if you want to start thinking. Uh, but let's just... I'd love to hear what we all think. We have anyway, an academic, a curator, and an artist here. Um, Hitomi, you mentioned how Ghibli inspired your work, but also watching this film in relation to your own artwork, which is this intricate ceramic pieces that require a lot of patience, hard work, and craft. Do you see that reflected in this film with the lines and the artwork? Yes, there are lots of other places I can feel that there are so many craftsmanship yeah. uh, uh, happened in this film. And uh, firstly, these lines, and the, we think that a lot of work could give more quality, but actually, simple one lines mm can express so much. Like, the, for example, baby, when the Kaguya was a baby. When you see the baby crawling around on the, uh, the floor, and the, you see so much movement, and almost feel like the soft skin that the baby has. But uh, when you carefully look at it, at it, actually the baby just maybe six or seven lines. Yeah. And, uh, that's really inspiring, mm -hmm. and uh, the all flowers and uh, the tree, every all everything in the nature, uh, actually consists of really a few lines mm -hmm. than the other. Uh, I think animation film, and uh, I think that was really wonderful. And then also, I quite like that the uh, Kaguya and her mother enjoy craft mm -hmm. so much her pleasures, yeah. and then. Uh, I think that that tells something. It's doing something by hand, uh, Takahata thought. Mm -hmm. It's a really wonderful thing that the human beings. Yeah. yeah, that's what's amazing about Takahata's films in general is that he crams so much craft and culture into mm -hmm. every one of his films. There, for example, in this one, you do have the the scrolls and the the, the line work and so on. In previous films, it may be looking into mythology or local history or... Well, uh, in Pompoko, you've got real live TV and... And like in Only Yesterday, culture. you have safflower flowers being turned into dye and so on. He's really interested in so much more than just telling a story. And uh, Hiromi, in terms of the relationship between this film and the exhibition and also Japanese art in general, there seems to be so much of that in display here and there's so many roots out of this film into Japanese cultural history, I'm sure, yes? Yes, and then also just um, I wanted to um, uh, just follow up with uh, what um, Hitomi-san mentioned. It's about line yeah. and then how simple line can be so expressive. And then at this exhibition, the main theme or like one, one of the things we wanted to um, express is the power of line and mm -hmm. then uh, graphic power. And then, um, but it doesn't have to be quite minute or details. Well, lots of um, drawings we have, original drawings in the exhibition, certainly have a very skilled um, lines after lines, which is um, also good, but also um, in, in a kind of a traditional Japanese paintings, it could be uh, quite simple line, but it is it can be so expressive. Mm. And then it's um, something you also use your imagination, probably, um, how you just communicate with the lines and then drawings, and then you just um, uh, feel something behind it. You mm -hmm. can see something behind it. I think that's so true of so much of Takahata's stuff, and, and of that imagination, particularly in the scene where Kaguya breaks out of the palace, and go, it's just 
pure line work there and like, we don't need to see whatever mm. is filling out the background. We only need to see the essential elements because that's all we really need to get to the core of the emotion in that moment. Mm. Yeah. So the, we can, I think that the, somehow there is a nice to feel that the, how the artist who draw the scene yes. experience emotionally yeah. uh, the story. I think uh, we feel really, uh, feels really kind of connected if the, the story through this artist, mm -hmm. hand-drawn lines. Yeah, I, I, was, I was very fortunate when this film premiered in Toronto um, to interview Takahata, and one thing he said, he said that in the realm of ultra-realistic 3D animation, you have Pixar working at such heights with Toy Story 1 and 2. For some reason, he didn't mention Toy Story 3 <laughs> in that sentence. I wonder why. But probably because Totoro's in it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but therefore go in the extreme opposite direction to the point where a single line and you feel the animator's hand and emotion, as you say, and you really do feel that in this film. Uh, Reina, so much of the understanding of Ghibli, internationally at least, is defined through the lens of Miyazaki and his hits from Spirited Away, Prince of Mononoke onwards. Takata, for many people, including Jake right here, is, is something of an enigma, or his films aren't shown or talked about as much, apart from maybe Grave of the Fireflies. Where does his work fit within the academic world for you? For you? Um, well, with, within academia, we're still catching up with Takahata yeah. as well. But I think within Japan, he's much, much better known. Right. Certainly within Japanese academia, he's beloved there as well. Um, I think one of the fascinating things for me about Takahata and about this film and its, its use of line in particular was the way they had to totally rejig the way they made films at Studio Ghibli to make this movie. So uh, there's a wonderful documentary you can get hold of in this country now. It's a kind of three hour long <laughs> making of, of this movie. And there's a wonderful observation at the beginning of it that this is not how Ghibli makes films. So not only was this film made at, I think it's studio number seven <laughs> for Studio Ghibli, so it's not made on the main campus, it's made somewhere else by a specialist group of people all working together to create something new and different, but they had to redo everything. They had to start from first principles in order to make this work. And so it's, it's a really inter interesting um, continuation and from what they were doing on My Neighbours, The Amadas, mm -hmm. but also some of the more experimental things Studio Ghibli has done over the years, which we don't tend to see much of because they tend to experiment more when they're making animated commercials for television than they do when they're making their feature films. So I think we've got something here that's really special mm. because it's not like any other Ghibli film. Yeah, mm. There is actually a really nice bit in that documentary which covers or shows Takata covering ground that he covered in Grave of the Fireflies, which is just the cutting of fruit. <laughs> and mm. he talks about how the movement of that animation in Grave of the Fireflies wasn't quite mm -hmm. right. It didn't feel like how a knife should go through it. And so that's why we see in Kaguya yeah. doing that same thing again, because it took an extra 25 years to get it just right. But that's, that's the wonderful enigma that is Takahata. On the one hand, he's experimental and he's trying new kinds of art with animation. But on the other hand, he's really almost obsessively concerned with how things are really done, about mm -hmm. realism. And he's not just an animated filmmaker, he's also made live action documentary. Mm -hmm. He's someone who really does care about the world around him. And so you see that in the everyday details 
I think we see that in the observation of how a frog jumps yeah. or in how a garden grows, uh, you know. The really observation of the, uh, the people, really wonderful, like the father uh, wiped his hands yeah. before pick yeah. up this moment. beautiful small princess. That's so natural, like we do have the toilet sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, I, I do completely agree, it's mm. just uh, so natural. And then also um, the movement uh, with using just simple lines. But so um, then I think, so it must have been a bit challenging for Takahata to create this um, animation because this is based on the kind of old Japanese uh, story of folklore, yeah. which is um, originally just a text, mm. and then um, it um, it does describe about this uh, kind of treasure things, like all the princes were talking about. But um, it doesn't describe in details. It just like a like a like, like a drill, and then it and then Takahata had to represent or like create it on the uh, as a kind of visual. So um, that's uh, where probably his imagination comes mm. in. Yeah. I mean, there are wonderful stories from Takahata's career about him being, for example, on Only Yesterday that you mentioned a little while ago, that's from the early 1990s. He was obsessed with a puppet show that had been on Japanese television, and he wanted to make sure they recreated it properly, mm -hmm. but they couldn't find it. So he sent this poor production assistant all over Japan looking for this one episode of television that he vividly remembered, but no one could find. Mm -hmm. And I think it took them quite a few months to track it down and find it. But it's there in the background of one scene. <laughs> you know, the, this is the level of realism that he was really, he really cared about. If you look at the, um, the kind of brochures and the pamphlets they put out for Takahata movies, they almost always have a couple of pages in them that are about the stuff that mm. appears that is real that they've had to go out and recreate in animation for the yeah. film. And I think we see this in the art in this movie, it's such, so beautifully, carefully reconstructed. The scrolls and everything look so, so perfect. Yeah, I suppose he, he was quite fortunate in a way that he was given license to experiment in that way. I suppose after maybe only yesterday onwards, he wasn't making box office movies in the way that Miyazaki was all the way through. He'd be making the bank for Ghibli. I think Kaguya was only able to be made over that long decade plus period because of an endowment by an old benefactor who wanted to see one more Takahata movie. And I think he passed away before the film Just was finished. Just before it came yeah. out, yes. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, well, let, let's cheer up the mood by yeah. asking the audience a question. Do we have a microphone out there? Straight on yeah. the straight beneath you there on the end of the row. Thank you. Um, so that was the first time I've seen the movie and I wasn't really familiar with the storyline at all. Um, and it started off in, in this super charming way and there were moments of real kind of fun um, when they're in the capital. And then that ending was absolutely brutal. It was so tragic. Um, how common is it in um, Studio Ghibli and in anime generally to have... a super tragic ending you know not softened at all for the audience have you seen grave of the fireflies <laughs> no i haven't but that that response should uh, give you some sense of uh, that that has one of the most brutal well i think entire film really yeah. is quite brutal actually, but the I, ending of I, that I, film is one of the most just to really heighten that heartbreak actually do it as the original double bill of my neighbor totoro because that will really like boost you you will <laughs> feel great after that so. but to to give a broader answer to your question anime is famous for having devastating endings and being unafraid to kill main characters mm. and and this is part of why it really took hold in the the kind of mid 1990s in the um outside of japan because it was so different to the kinds of stories we were hearing otherwise from western animation yeah although specifically within ghibli i'd say apart from Kaguya and Grey of the Fireflies, that's the hard stuff. Uh, the, I've cried at Ponyo. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you, you will cry for different reasons. So they're not emo happy, as emotionally devastating, perhaps. <laughs> Do you cry at many of these, Jake? Yeah, I cry at these. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, any specific films that made you tear up? Um, what have I cried at? I cried at Only Yesterday, <laughs> Whisper of the Heart, uh, Totoro, Fireflies. Okay, so ignore uh, what I said. <laughs> okay, fine. Many emotionally devastating. I feel films, like we're un they're really beautiful, happy films for the most part. <laughs> uh, another question or observation out there? I see a, a green sort of top here in the middle. Do you think it would be possible for another production like this to happen uh, now, or the kind of commitment to an artistic ideal that they had uh, that's just not possible anymore? It's interesting to mention that, considering Studio Ponok and Takahata. So, are you familiar with Studio Ponok at all? So, no. one thing about Princess Kagi, and Raina, correct me if I'm wrong with one of these points, was that this new way of making this film introduced a new generation of producers in particular, one producer, Yoshiaki Nishimura, um, who produced Princess Kaguya, and then after this film and when Marnie was there were released, Ghibli closed for an indefinite hiatus. Briefly. Briefly. Yeah. Reopened a year or two later. But during that pause, Yoshiaki Nishimura went and formed a new studio called Studio Ponok on the similar principles with which he had been taught by Takahata, Miyazaki, and Toshio Suzuki. And he poached a bunch of filmmakers from Ghibli, mainly Hiramasa Yonobayashi, who made Arietti, their borrower's film, and when Marnie was there. And they made this film, Mary and the Witch's Flower, which you say made on these principles it's not as, nowhere near as experimental, but it's, it's made almost as, how have we put it before, Jake? It's, it's like a really great Miyazaki cover band. Yes. <laughs> but Rainer, I think a broader question is this sort of 
experimental fringe of mainstream, well-produced, high-budget anime. It, can we ever have that again? I mean, part of why you can have a film like this is because at that point, Studio Ghibli had been massively successful. They're outselling everything in the Japanese marketplace. Mm -hmm. The only person who's really done that since has been Makoto Shinkai, mm -hmm. um, whose amazing film, Your Name, broke all sorts of box office records. Talking but I films don't, that made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know whether he's as interested in putting his money back into experimental mm -hmm. styles of animation as they were at Studio Ghibli. I think time will tell in that regard. Yeah, I hope that answers your question a little bit. I think that Takata was one of a kind, really, in Japanese animation, with a career spanning six decades that really pushed the boundaries. And he wasn't an animator himself, and that gave him freedom to be almost, I keep calling him the Alex Ferguson, it's, getting, it's becoming a dated football <laughs> reference, but somebody who knew how to get the right people for the job to, yeah. to bring his vision to life. There's a wonderful story about one of his early films with Miyazaki, Hall's Prince of the Sun, mm -hmm. where the film didn't do very well at the box office, largely because it didn't get a very big release from Toy. But one of the interesting things about it was they made it very egalitarian. So they looked for everybody to talk to them and tell them about their good ideas, and they put them in the film. And that's one of the ways Miyazaki got his, his really first big break mm -hmm. at Toy Animation. And what's interesting is the stories I'm hear, like I'm reading and hearing about Kaguya say there was a similar thing going on in that little studio number seven with that mm. little team making um, making Princess Kaguya. They seem to have been very egalitarian, very open mm. to everybody's ideas. And I think that's maybe why we get so many of those cute moments, so many of the fun moments, so many of those beautifully observed natural moments as well. Those, those wonderful scenes with the kingfishers and the frogs mm -hmm. and, and the dragonflies. <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's not just pure Ghibli, that's also people loving this movie and putting mm. their heart and souls into it. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Okay, I think we've maybe got time for one more question out there. Oh, someone yep. here. Uh, Fourth row back. Yeah, I can't count. Thank you. To me, it was great art of a fairy tale. And it, it was wonderful. And I loved going back to Japanese history for people who don't know much about it, but seeing the film, they get introduced, and then it was a great family film. Wonderful for children, wonderful for the parents. It had something for everybody. And I think it was an unforgettable film, and I wonder whether it's the top of the Ghibli productions. Oh, that is a perfect statement to end on because we, we did warn our panelists earlier that we were going to put them on the spot at the end of the question and answer session and say what their favorite Ghibli film is. I think Raina wants to go last, that's why she's motioning out to Hiromi first. Well, um, <laughs> until I watched this film, um, it was um, uh, the spirited away, but um, I really, really like Princess Kaguya for the reason because uh, it um, actually really tells that how um, the visual power is important um, to tell the story mm. um, based on the, 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 the things I said before, um, that it can really beautifully um, visualize the text 
um, and then you can just um, just follow the story just visually. So um, I, I really like this film. Well, um, I'm just trying to quickly look up your list because uh, listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of every episode, uh, I force Michael to rank his favorite films. Uh, and I'm tr quickly trying don't to embarrass look up me in front of where here, this one came. Let, let's go to someone else whilst I, whilst <laughs> okay. I find that up and can embarrass you in front What's of What's your favorite everyone. Ghibli film? Um, definitely this film is one of them. Oh, because yeah. of the, I also grew up in the countryside in Japan and the, the, this, uh, the, Takata really shows the beauty of life in the countryside, and the, some of the uh, the like the actions or uh, scenes they really close to what I experienced, and uh, it shows beautifully to the world. So I really liked it, and also I like this film because this film doesn't fall into the stereotype of the recent uh, Japanese animation. For example, big sparkling eyes like Mirabor, or mm -hmm. it's just this. <laughs> In speech, unspeakable beauty that the Kaguya had is depicted a really simple line, like the calligraphy on the uh, Japanese painting. So I think uh, definitely this film is the one which can show the Japanese wonderful uh, the culture. That's a very, very well put. Thank you, Raina. The time has come. Okay. Um, as an academic, I have to say Princess Mononoke. Ooh, I wrote okay. my PhD on Princess Mononoke, and I just edited a book on Princess Mononoke. I feel like it's the gift Miyazaki give, gave everyone that just keeps on giving. Um, theoretically, it's hugely important, and it's really important because it's the moment where Miyazaki sets out his doll as a public intellectual, mm. not just an animator. Yeah. So he really does kind of lift the whole tone of animation at that point, I think. But... As I've been doing more research on Studio Ghibli, the person behind the scenes, the one that gets no credit for all of the amazing work that Miyazaki and others at Ghibli does is Takahata. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the more I watch his films, the more they give you. I think, go back and watch them all. They're all <laughs> amazing. <clears throat> Thank you for saying so, saying that about Princess Monoki because I'm trying to convince Jake that that's one of the best. He wasn't a big fan yeah. of that one, and that's what we fall out over all the time. Yeah, and actually, in, in a great twist to end the evening, I've just found your list, and you oh. never put Kaguya on it. <gasps> it's, it's out of date. <laughs> yeah. To recap for everyone in the room, uh, from 17th to first place... Jake. Sorry. Uh, Tales from Earthsea, The Cat Returns, Arietti, Howl's Moving Castle in 14th. He'll be outside ready for a fight later. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, when Marnie Was There, Pompoko, Only Yesterday, Ponyo, Castle in the Sky, Spirited Away in 8th. Uh, Porco Rosso, The Wind Rises, Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, Grave of the Fireflies, My Neighbor Totoro, Whisper of the Heart. Whisper of the Heart. Who's seen Whisper of the Heart in here? It's great, right? It's the secret best. <laughs> Ghibli film, and it's not made by either Miyazaki or Takahata. It's by Yoshifumi Kondo. It's, it's impossible, isn't it? Like, yeah. It's ask me which day of the week it is, and I'll have a new, you know, it's film like for you. all my all of my favorite children, and then Tales from Earthsea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jake, what's your favorite? Uh, mine is Porco Rosso. So the I love Porco Rosso. I think it's great, and secretly Miyazaki's most feminist film. Ooh, okay. No, that's really. That's the film where they were running over time on making Only Yesterday. So, what Miyazaki did was he promoted women who hadn't had a chance to lead at Studio Ghibli and gave them their first shot. 
Yeah, that's, that's why I that's think a, the scene about building the plane in the workshop is all about yeah, exactly yeah. that. Fantastic. Well, if you want to see more about building planes in workshops, yeah. this time next week we are showing The Wind Rises here with another panel and Q&A, so please come along if you'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, but for now, <laughs> um, it, we, we've run out of time, and yeah. it just leaves me time to thank uh, Hiromi, Hitomi, and Reina for bringing the expertise this evening. And uh, Jake, where can people find more about us? Uh, well, just search for Ghibliotech on uh, ACAST, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we've gone through 18 of them so far. We'll be doing the rest and a few more as well. Um, and do come and talk to Michael for a fight about those rankings as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for sticking around with us. Thank you so much for Thank everything. you all for coming. Have a lovely Stay. evening. And that was our conversation after a screening of The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Thanks again to Hiromi, Hitomi and Reina for joining us and sharing their insights with us. And no thank you to Jake for embarrassing me in front of a room ranking my favourite Ghibli films. I, that, the, the, the coldness of the air yeah. when you mentioned where Howl's Moving Castle landed on my list. I know. And all those people that actually did wait around to have a fight afterwards. I hope those bruises have recovered now. We should say thank you again as well to Bryony and Freddie and the British Museum team for allowing us to talk about Ghibli in front of such a rapt audience. Mm. Um, and of course, this isn't the last of the series, is it, Jane? No, we have got one more and uh, a really terrific discussion that I'm, I'm really excited to be able to put out on the podcast um, with a guest who I, I know we had plans to have come mm. on for a later episode, but it was um, just some good luck that Alex Dudok-Devitt was able to come on and tell us all about The Wind Rises and give us a lot of insights into that that we weren't really able to cover on the episode that we recently did on it. And likewise, uh, it's, it was such a wonderful pleasure to welcome back Nicole, Nicole Rumenier, who was on our first panel to wrap things up into a nice tidy bow, finishing yeah. off this series of screenings. In the meantime, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, we are both on Twitter. You can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.